Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 55 this evening. Psalm 55. Returning to our study through the book of Psalms, as we now look to the words preserved for us in Psalm 55, I want us to examine David's steadfast faith in God amid a myriad of emotional anxieties, constant verbal and physical attacks, as well as a devastating relational betrayal. I will read the psalm in its entirety so that we can get a glimpse of all that David is experiencing in life at this time, and then zoom into the individual verses so we can examine more closely the firmness of his faith in the midst of all of his suffering. Psalm 55. David writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me. And in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go about it upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst of it. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. Let death cease upon them and let them go down quick into hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, Selah, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But thou, O God, shalt bring them down into the pit of destruction." Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I 
will trust in thee. Now, having read the psalm, I want us to carefully observe all that is revealed in these 23 verses regarding David's troubling circumstances. And under this first point, I want you to notice, beginning in verse 2, how David feels. David says in verse 2 that he feels restless. The mentioning of David mourning in his complaint and making a noise emphasizes his spiritual agitation. It highlights the heavy sighs and mourns people make when they are overwhelmed with the troubles of life. So the first feeling we find David wrestling with in his being is the feeling of restlessness. David says in verse 4 that he feels severely pained in his heart. He says, my heart is sore pained within me. It's not just pain, but sore pained within me. And the idea here is that David feels heavily sad. His heart, his inner being is in great distress and anguish. David goes on in verse 4 and says that he also feels terrified. He says in the second half of verse 4 that the terrors of death are fallen upon him. And this means that he is expecting to be massacred at any moment. He is afraid for his life. He feels that at any moment a spear or a sword could quickly cause him to sense the sting of death itself. And then looking to verse 5, we find that David not only feels restless, severely pained in his heart and terrified, he also fears, feels fearful, unsteady, horrified, and overwhelmed. Verse 5, Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. Are you beginning to see how dark and how ugly the circumstances of life were for David? Are you beginning to see how miserable David feels among his circumstances? Now, it's important to keep in mind that what we read here is not fiction, but truth. David was a real man being disturbed by real feelings that were being produced by real problems from real people in the same world that we live in. What is said in this psalm is not some exaggeration that is poetic in nature, but the specific feelings of his heart that were brought about by the sour circumstances of life. As we go through this psalm and all the psalms, it's absolutely vital that we do not lose sight of this. What David experienced is very real. But wait, we're not done. We've not concluded examining David's feelings. Look at verses 6 and 8. Verses 6 through 8 we read of David feeling so overwhelmed by his circumstances that he wishes there was some way just to get away from it all. And I said, oh, that I, I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Selah, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and 
tempest. He is in the midst of a hurricane. He's in the midst of a tornado and it's swirling him around. And the desire of his heart is to escape the tornado, to escape the hurricane and just be at rest. He wishes that he could have a little peace and a little quietness throughout his days. This is what David feels. He feels restless, severely pained in his heart, terrified, fearful, unsteady, horrified, overwhelmed, weary, desiring it for it all to be over so he can be at rest. And in the continuation of our examination of David's troubling circumstances, I want you to notice second what David sees. So in this psalm, we have a description not only of what David feels, but also of what David sees. Verse 9. Verse 9 mentions that David hears the divided tongues of men and sees violence and strife abounding in the holy city of Jerusalem, which, by the way, is to be the city where God is to be worshipped. David goes on and says, verse 10, that day and night ungodly men go about the city and he notices that mischief and sorrow are in the midst of it. Wickedness is among the city of God and deceit and guile depart not from her streets. In reading these words, I cannot help but see the similarity of what Jeremiah the weeping prophet heard and saw of his nation as he was ministering to the Lord, Lamentations chapter 3. Remember, Jeremiah said, Mine eye affects my heart. Jeremiah says, Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Well, David and Jeremiah are one and the same in this instance. So let's recap for a moment. In this psalm, God would have us to take notice of the inward anxieties of David, as well as the outward adversaries of David. In this psalm, we have a troubling portrait being painted of David's troubled feelings and David's treacherous surroundings. But wait, we have not yet concluded all that is being pronounced concerning David's troubling circumstances. In addition to being hunted by his enemies, seeing his community that should be walking in the truth, living in unrighteousness, which causes great emotional unsettledness, David expresses, beginning in verse 12, that one of the reasons he is struggling so much is because he has been bitterly betrayed by a close friend. Verse 12. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. I could have handled it. Some stranger that was against me. And neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. Now, we are not told exactly who David is referring to in this instance. Many 
commentators presume that David is speaking of Ahithophel, which is very likely, but the text does not say, so I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. All we are told is that there was a close acquaintance of David's who turned on him and forsook him. And if ever you have experienced anything like David is describing, you know that such an attack produces feelings of shock and pain and sadness. It's like having the wind knocked out of you. So David says, someone who I went to for help, counsel, and guidance, someone that I confided in, someone I prayed with, somebody that I went to church with, has now become my number one enemy. Now they're making up lies against me. Now they're joining my enemies in their attacks against me. Now they hate me with a fierce hatred. And if ever you have been betrayed by a close family member, friend, perhaps old church member, you know that it's very likely that other close acquaintances will lead to other enemies to attack you. And all this will cause you to feel very lonely and very untrusting of people. These are the troubling circumstances of David. He's oppressed, he's depressed, he's sad, he's worried, he's troubled, he's fearful, he's horrified, he's hurt, he's uneasy, he's tired, he's overwhelmed, he's frustrated, and he's lonely. David is troubled inwardly and outwardly. He is being attacked on every side. Now, having observed David's troubling circumstances, I want us to notice now David's trusting confidence and commitment. This is point number two. David's trusting confidence and commitment. And the question that I want to ask and answer in this second point is, how does David respond to all the, quote, bad things that are taking place in his life. Well, it's obvious throughout the psalm that the primary thing David does is unburden his heart to God. The first and constant response towards his problems is, catch it, prayer. Verse 1 and 2, notice what David does. In the midst of his problems, he says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. And then verses 16 and 17, David says, As for me, in the midst of all my trouble, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and Cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Now, notice once again that true prayer is not merely the articulation of words, but the pouring of the heart to God. We've been solidifying this fact in our mind throughout the whole study of the Psalms. What is prayer? We see it throughout Psalm 1 through 55, and then onward past Psalm 55. True prayer is the pouring out of the soul to God. True prayer is more than just asking God things. True prayer is 
unburdening the heart. It's the casting of our cares upon the one who cares for us. And by the way, in this example of David, we find that prayer is not a one-and-done activity, but a constant crying out to God for help. Do you see that? Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. And even in between that, verse 22 says that prayer involves urgently casting your burdens, your trials, your troubles upon the Lord, knowing that God alone can sustain you. How does David respond to the daily, moment-by-moment burdens of life? How does David remain faithful through the ever-changing, exasperating circumstances of his day? He turns to the Lord in prayer. He believes that the Lord will truly help him. And this is truth number two. David not only prays to God, catch this, but he believes in the God that he is praying to. And herein lies a great problem as it relates to prayer and the steadfastness of our faith in the midst of our problems. Much of our problem in prayer is when we pray, we don't truly believe that God is hearing us and God can help us. Now, theologically, we would never deny that God can help us, but sometimes when we pray and utter words, our heart is out of touch with the reality of His Word. We're not praying in faith. And I think it was Calvin who says, doubtful prayer is no prayer at all. We pray. We do utter words to God, but our hearts, listen, our hearts cannot remain cold to who God is, to what He promised. Oftentimes we pray and then go on living as if we need to take matters into our own hands. But this is not how David responds. David prays and in his praying he fully trusts that the Lord will be his help. He has stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. He knows every joy and trial falleth from above, tracing upon his dial from the Son of Love. David really believes that God is going to fight his battles for him. He's confident that God will judge his enemies in his own timing. He's truly persuaded that God, listen, that God is his closest friend and God will be his refuge and strength during his time of trouble. Are you listening? When, when cast into darkness, David still has a light. When abandoned by all, he still has a friend. When shaken to the core, he does not feel alone in the world. And David does not abandon his God. 
nor does he try to find peace in the physical things of life. We do not find David saying, I'm so stressed, I think I need a counseling class. We do not find David saying, I'm so troubled, I think I need some antidepressant medication to help me handle all my problems. Pills are the only solution for me. David does not say, I'm so down that I, I need to go to the bar at happy hour and drink down my sorrows. David does not say, the only way that I can handle this is by numbing my mind through social media. I need to spend less time with God in prayer, in the meditation of His Word, and I need to be around God's people less. I'm going to be a little pointed here. I hope the Lord will give me grace to say it. I hope the Lord will give you grace to hear it. In light of what we read in Scripture. Listen, most of our, quote, troubling circumstances don't even closely relate to what David went through. Yet we allow our circumstances to keep us from worshiping and serving God faithfully. And not only that, but we foolishly excuse and justify other professing Christians from faithfully worshiping and serving God in the midst of their distressing circumstances. Come on, think about it with me now. Does God's word meet us where we live in life or not? Did David live in a different world we live in? Did he have a different God than we do? Are you sure he was an Old Testament Christian? Didn't the gods change somehow when you turned to the New Testament? That's what we're led to believe. Ah, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who was is the God is. And Paul tells us that these things, speaking of the Old Testament Scriptures, these things were written for our admonition. These things, Psalm 55, was written for our learning. Praise be to God. So, back up, look at Psalm 55. What does it teach us? Number one, it teaches us that life is not a bed of roses. Oh, well, we just had Valentine's Day and my spouse put rose petals on my bed. One day a year, maybe. For an hour, maybe. But life as a whole is not a bed of roses. What does Psalm 55 teach us? Let's bring it down to realism here. It teaches us that life is full of difficulty. It teaches us that in life we will have tribulation, just as Jesus said. In this life we will be troubled on every side. It teaches us that life is full of storms, battles, troubling circumstances, and yes, even betrayal. If you think that living life in this world that has been cursed by sin is going to be easy and fun, then you're going to be deeply disappointed. You're going to be constantly depressed, really. And likewise, if you think, if you think living for Christ is going to be easy and fun, you are going to be persistently discouraged. What's fun about being hated by others? What's fun about being betrayed by family members and friends? What's fun about seeing the nation that you love 
forsake the way of God. What's fun about seeing those who used to worship with us misrepresent us, slander us, and want nothing to do with us? You thought being a soldier for Christ is going to be stress-free? Think again. We're in a world. We're in a world filled with war, spiritual war. And the war is against the world, Satan, our flesh, and often the consequences of our own reckless decisions. What does Psalm 55 teach us? It teaches us that life is full of problems. Life is full of trouble. Life is full of heartache. Life is full of pain. Well, that's an encouraging truth on a midweek Bible study, isn't it? Yeah, it is, really. It is. It really is. We live in the same world David did. And he still persevered for the Lord. What does Psalm 55 teach us? Number two, it teaches us that in the midst of our troubles, that God alone is sufficient to uphold us, strengthen us, encourage us, and help us. In fact, this is the entire theme of the Psalms. This is the entire theme of our Bibles. Who can we depend upon when everybody else has forsaken us? Where can we find hope in this world of hopelessness? Where can we find strength when we feel oh so weak? Where can we find light in the midst of our darkness? Answer, in God and in God alone. Now the question is, do you believe this? And the following question is, are you sure you believe this? If you do, then when others come to you in the midst of your problems and tell you that God can help, don't resist them. Oh, we would never do that. We're good church-going people. Now, I say this because sometimes when the distressing circumstances of life overwhelm us, we allow our circumstances to set the tone of our life. We grow to be more faithless, fickle, and unfaithful in our walk with God. And we respond to those trying to encourage us in the Lord by saying, I'm just going through something right now. Once things settle down in my life, you can expect me to be more faithful to God, but now is me time. Watch out. And sadly, when we see others going through troubles, oftentimes we just automatically give them a free pass to be spiritually apathetic. We say things like, well, they're just going through something. You know, they have been hurt really bad. <sighs> we shouldn't expect them in the prayer meetings to pray. Yeah, that's one of those. Uh, we, we shouldn't anticipate them to be among the church where they can be encouraged in the Lord. Hopefully, hopefully they'll come around. But for now, we shouldn't expect those who claim to know Christ to passionately seek after God in the midst of their problems. We think this. Sometimes we say that. 
And we excuse others. Listen, what kind of nonsensical thinking is this? Our Christianity is so soft, so weak, so effeminate. Come on, we need to let God's word break through and correct our thinking. Do we walk by faith or do we walk by our feelings? Didn't we just talk about this Sunday night? Should we allow our circumstances to direct our path or the commandments of God? Does David allow his circumstances or his feelings to keep him from doing God's will and passionately seeking to know God? Does David provide us with lame excuses that we can give as to why we can grow cold in our walk with God? Does he teach us how to be like the Laodiceans? Lukewarm? No. Okay, so question. Why do we allow our trials, our troubles, to give us a justification to slow down in the race of faith? Why do we unwisely coddle and excuse the sloppy living of others when trouble comes across their path? I I can't find a place where that's supported by Scripture. And this is where the rubber of faith meets the road of God's Word. (laughs) And just recently I tried to help a professing Christian who was going through a very difficult time and I was speaking the truths of God's word into this person's life, giving Bible verse after Bible verse. And they were going through a very stressful situation. And I said, I can't imagine what you're going through, but God's word says this and God's word commands this of you. And this person said, that doesn't relate to me. That's for other people. You don't understand all that I'm dealing with. Now You can shake your head at that. But when we're in the tsunami, often that's how we respond. And I think this person articulated how many church people think and respond to their problems. We, we read the numerous accounts of Scripture. We read and know the truths of Scripture We hear the preaching and the teaching of God's word on a weekly basis, but when crisis comes and shakes us, the truth of Scripture somehow becomes a distant fairy tale. This is pastoral ministry. Pastor Watkins, right? (laughs) It's one thing to preach truth behind a pulpit. It's another thing to come along the sheep when they've been wounded and say, this is a bone that can hurt you, but they're so hurt. I don't know if they can bear it. Oftentimes we start depending upon that which is physical more than God to help us. So you know and I know that our problem is not in knowing what is true. It's in believing and obeying what is true. So let me ask, are you going through difficult circumstances tonight? Do you suffer from mental anguish, emotional unsettledness, verbal attacks? Have you you been betrayed by a close family member or friend, and the pain is still there? I don't mean to be uncompassionate, but my exhortation for you tonight is join the club. Join the David club. Join the Joseph club. Join the Job club. Join the Jesus club. 
Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop giving lame excuses as to why you cannot faithfully persevere for the Lord. Stop excusing the spiritual apathy of others. Stop coddling others and start challenging them. Listen, either God is worthy to be praised and worshipped at all times or not. It really boils down to that question. I didn't say sometimes. I didn't say most times. I said all times. What does David teach us throughout the psalm? God is worthy to be worshipped, to be loved, to be adored, to be praised at all times. Not just when things are going well, but when things are upside down and inside out. Either Jesus Christ is worth living for and dying for or not. It really boils down to this singular question. Now, I'm not saying that there are not real legitimate things that sometimes prevent us from worshiping and serving God as we should or as we normally would. I'm saying in our normal day-to-day trials... We must not allow our circumstances to keep us from our steadfastness. All right? If your leg is chopped off and you have to go to the ER and it's time to go to church, I'm not talking about that. You better be in church or you're going to be an apathetic, lukewarm Christian. Because the Bible says, Hebrews, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Deal with your broken leg later. (laughs) Seek first the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about that. Come on, you know I'm not. I'm talking about the normal trials that often shake us from our commitment to Christ. And one final thing, as I look at Psalm 55 in its entirety, do you know what I see? Let me put it this way. Do you know who I see? I don't see David. Remember, put on the gospel goggles, the gospel glasses, and read it, looking to Christ. I don't see David. I see our Lord and Savior. David is only a picture of Jesus Christ. So let's think of him for a moment. What do we know of Christ, our Savior, our Lord? Christ came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost, and the world hated him. He went to his own, and his own received him not. They said he had a devil. His own family members would not believe. And what did Jesus experience for the sake of our souls? He experienced sorrow, grief, Emotional pain, physical pain, sadness, tiredness. Jesus felt every emotion that David felt and we feel. Yet he was without sin. And on his journey to the cross, Jesus felt overwhelmed, frustrated, burdened, distressed, and lonely. And like David, Jesus was bitterly betrayed by one of his own disciples. Yet, Joyfully, faithfully, perseveringly, Jesus endured, receiving strength from God 
for the sake of our souls. And do you think Jesus knows anything about what we go through in life? More than you know. He does. So the final thought I'm going to leave you with tonight is this. If Jesus would endure such agony for us, can we not endure a little agony for Him? If Jesus endured the cross to give us life and life more abundant, life eternal, can we not take up our cross and follow Him faithfully, showing others that He alone is worth living for?